Man. It's been a little while since I've just wanted to hop, jump across this stage and said, can you believe that? What they just did, but uh, um, I was so excited to be having that, and I'm going to be honest with you, I honestly did not realize how well it fit in with the message at this point in this series that we're doing. The series that we're doing is loosely, it, it's heavily based on Jesus being born in a manger 2,000 and some years ago. Heavily based on that, okay? Lightly based on a little story that was created by the cinema people for us called Polar Express. But just the idea that there's a place in our life for us to recapture our decision to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and not to academically acknowledge it, but rather, that's exactly right, that's my favorite person right now, um, but to actually believe it so much that you change the course of your life, your activity, and the direction that you're going. And so uh, I talked to Pastor Tony a couple of months ago, and I said, hey, listen, you know, welcome to the vineyard, you're here. He came on board this past summer, and I said, hey, when you hit Christmas, this is what I'm looking for. And so I would guess that some of you that go to church here probably actually have drumming skills, and we were looking for like 18 drummers up here. Not really, but, you know, um, that's why we're co constantly saying, hey, why don't you get involved? Now, I also didn't do any uh, looking up on this, but I'm not sure where this whole drummer boy thing comes from. Yeah, yeah, not so much. You know, it's like mother just had a baby, finally got him to sleep, laying in the manger. Hey, can I bang on my drum for you right next to his head? Yeah, not so much. Don't know very many mothers that are saying, oh, please, I know, you know, just, you know what? We're going to suffer through it. Go ahead and drum away. I know my wife and I had a son in 1987, and we were at the same time remodeling our house, and he sat in a car seat about three or four feet from the cutoff saw that we were using and sound asleep. Didn't bother him a bit. But anyway, that being said, I'm not really sure, because in my mind, it was a holy night. Okay, in my mind, the birth of Jesus took place on a holy, holy, holy night, and it was just all, you know, Christine and quiet and all the things that you think of it being. But you know what? It might have been a busy morning. It might have been a busy morning. We don't know. Okay, we know that the angels came and they came at night. We know the shepherds were there. We know that's when they came and announced it. But the fact of the matter was, I don't know. Typical Christmas card looks like this. Thank you, Hallmark. We really appreciate what you do for us and helping us understand the uh, Christmas story. But this is the card that we send out to everybody. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quiet, holy night. Babies in a manger. People are respectful. Strangers from another land stay out there outside. Um, local family and friends can come in for just a little bit. You know how moms are when they just have a baby. It's like, yeah, I don't want to see anybody until I get my hair done, my makeup done. I get at least, you know, washed up a little bit. Okay, but not Mary. Mary's like, well, tell them to come on in, I guess. Um, there's a lot going on in uh, the thing here. The shepherds came. I love that. I pray, God, please, I pray that the shepherds were, in fact, respectful, that as they came in, they said, hey, you know, this is what just happened. Could we possibly see this baby, confirm it, make sure that we understand what actually happened um, as they're being celebrated? Um, but this is where it is. The truth of the matter is that the birth of Jesus was actually nothing more than a woman having a baby that got this celestial announcement, and even she didn't get that celestial announcement. But to the world that was around her, around Mary and Joseph, it's just a woman had a baby. You know, she just had a baby. That's all it was. I bet they were busy just like you and I are. I don't know if you were out yesterday. I made the mistake of needing a red shirt to preach in. 
I just wanted to have a red one. I do not own a red shirt, and I wanted to own a red shirt. So yesterday afternoon, I asked my wife, hey, I'm going to go to town. And she goes, really? You know it's the 23rd, right? I said, yeah. She said, you know everybody's out there. I said, I'll take the truck. I will take the truck. Okay, so I took the truck. And I went to JCPenney and found a red shirt because that's what, but people were there and it was packed and they were busy and they were last minute people and they were still having fun. And for the most part, I never saw anything mean, nasty, or made me tired of Christmas yesterday. It was wonderful. But I bet there was a lot going on in Mary and Joseph's life. I bet that as much as they just had a baby, they were still looking for where they were going to get food from. I mean, I don't know what kind of restaurants, taverns, things like that took place back 2,000, 2,500 years ago, 20, 2,200 years ago. But, but I imagine Joseph was trying to feed his family. I imagine he was trying to keep people at bay away from his wife a little bit. I imagine that Joseph, who had to travel all the way to Bethlehem, he walked there because that was the town of his um, family's origin, so to speak. So we know that Joseph went, but that also means that Joseph's father, Joseph's brothers, Joseph's uncles, Joseph's grandfathers, Joseph's great-grandfather, anybody that was male and was alive that was part of Joseph's lineage had, hey Tom, had to travel, sorry about that, um, that's my ADHD, just noticing a friend of mine in the room, um, but had to travel all the way to Bethlehem. They were not alone. You saw the picture up there, and it's just a tiny little family, and it's just like us two and no more. Not true. If Joseph and Mary could not find a room, do you think all their aunts and uncles found rooms, but they didn't have any? And they just said, well, sucks to be you, Mary and Joseph. Go to the barn. Because she was pregnant. Welcome to the vineyard. Sorry if I offended you. But that's the truth. There was an entourage of people, not just the Hallmark vision, and they were busy, and, and, and there was dirt, and there was straw, and there was animals, and I'm not going to tell you, there was poop everywhere in the barn. I'm just saying it was real life, and Jesus was born into real life. You know, the city was packed with everybody that was there. Jerusalem, in, in about 70 AD, in the, in the Jewish-Roman war that took place not long after that, they're, they're estimating there was like 600,000 people in Jerusalem. So they estimate there was two to 3,000 people in Bethlehem. And we're talking about a village. We're talking about a village, a little tiny town, okay? And, and we know this because somebody recorded uh, that 158,000 Jews were hauled dead Jews were hauled out of Jerusalem in the Roman Jewish wars. They numbered them. That's how many people died. So it, it was a big crowd. There was a lot going on. And I love this. As we go into looking at who had to come, because I want to talk to you about who gets to come to Jesus. I love that, I love that the, the shepherds got to come. I really don't believe that the drummer boy got to come, but I love that the drummer boy legend is there. Because it's about a little boy who has nothing else to give, but he wants desperately to give a birthday Christmas present. He doesn't know it's Christmas, but a birthday Christmas present to the baby. He wants to give something. And I love that what it says is, all God wants is, is who you are. He doesn't want big money. He doesn't want your finances. He doesn't want you. Somebody once said in a missions experience that they had, all he wants is your heart. Because he knows if he gets your heart, he gets the rest but he wants your heart. 
And I love, I love that particular part of this story, and it's kind of the same thing with the little boy, and I'll say it again later. But in the movie Polar Express, when the train starts to head out and our hero decides that there's a little boy that needs to get on it, and he reaches up and he slams on the brake, the train comes to a halt, and the, the little know-it-all kid, and I love that if you go down through and see who the actors are that played what parts, that little kid's called the know-it-all kid. I love that. It's like... I. I Hey, who's the, who's the know-it-all kid? I need to know what his name is for my sermon. Know-it-all kid. That's his name. So the know-it-all kid's like, why are we stopping the train? What are we doing? What's the deal? Come on. And there's a little boy standing there, but he lives on the dirty side of the tracks. And, the, and he says, I don't think we're supposed to stop on this side. I don't think we're supposed to stop here. But they stop there. And that little boy gets to get on the train and I was thinking about who gets to come. You ever looked at Jesus' lineage? You ever looked at that, the people that are in there? I'm, I'm going to throw out some names that may not mean anything to you, just simply depending on your desire, your personal study, or stuff like that. But there's, there's some women in there. Tamar. Mmm. Oh, yeah. Questionable. Ruth. Mmm. Laying at the feet of Boaz, covered his feet, woke up in the morning, had to leave before anybody got there because people might think something inappropriate happened. But come on. Uh, Bathsheba, you're familiar with the Bathsheba incident. It's what we call it around here when we refer to it, the Bathsheba incident. Come on, we're talking straight up. Murder adultery, all the things, lying, all the things. And then there's Rahab. Could have been just an innkeeper, but largely understood that innkeepers were fun to be with. Can we say it that way? Can we just say that way for the fact that there's children in the room, okay? Fun to be with, okay? And so you've, you've got that going on. Now, we come forward, and then there's Mary, Mary, Mary. If you've read your New Testament, you know there's Mary, Mary, and Mary. And at least one of the Marys was pretty sus. Can I say sus in here? Can I be cool for just a split? No. You're too old to be cool. Do not use that language, Papa. My kids aren't in here right now, okay? So I'm good to go, okay? Mary, Mary, Mary. At least one of those Marys was sus. Okay? All of these people are sus. Are you kidding? This is Jesus' lineage? It's not all royal people. It's not from the line of David. We get that, and it goes down south from there, and even before that. But it's like, are you kidding me? Filthy, nasty, awful, as, as Arlo Grothy would say, uh, father rapers and mother stabbers. I mean, are you kidding me? That's the biblical picture of Jesus' lineage. So who gets to come? He came to a, man, uh, to a manger, not to a castle. He came to a barn, not to a throne. He came to the lowly, not to the mighty. We haven't even mentioned Abraham. You know the Abraham incident. We've got a lot of incidences in the Bible. A lot of incidences, you know. It's like, hello, Jacob, you know, a little bit of a liar, okay? Too many wives, okay? Moses, remember he killed that one guy? Some of you are like, what about Moses? He killed that one guy, okay? Murdered him in broad daylight and then ran as fast as he could. And then there's David, don't have to go down that road again. And Solomon, you know, it, really, these are the people. Dirty people came to the manger. 
When Jesus was born, dirty people came to the manger. His lineage is full of dirty people. Dirty people cried out to God. Dirty people were touched in the story of Jesus by Jesus. Dirty politicians enjoyed Jesus' company. Dirty people were invited to come and follow Jesus as disciples, as apostles. Dirty people were all over Jesus, and they still are to this day. Can you believe it? Can you believe that? The story of Christianity is a story of broken and hurting humanity in need of a Savior that would love them and not just polish them up, but would want them. And that's what we're looking at. If those people, if those people in Jesus' lineage made the family cut, could I just by any chance get you to believe that Jesus loves you? No, no, no. Some of you are in here and you're going, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. Can I get you to believe that Jesus hears your prayers? Uh, could I get you to believe that he actually wants to answer them? He really does. That if you trust him, what he really longs for for you is a life better than the one that you're living. I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity, preach it and claim it and name it and all that stuff. I'm talking about following Jesus, and if it costs you your life, it costs you your life. But he will walk with you. He will hold your hand. He will love you. People look at me sideways at my coffee. I go to the coffee shop almost every day. Um, no, I do not own any of Purdy's. I have no stock in Purdy's. I just need to get that out there. Okay? Um, love the family. Love the people. Love the coffee. But there are people that just look at me sideways when I say, well, the Lord said, because that's not the crowd I sit with. But I do believe very strongly that God wants to speak to you. The story in the song of the little uh, drummer boy, um, in my opinion, I think he was a vineyard worship leader. <laughs> if you've read anything about the beginning of the vineyards <laughs> and Lonnie, what's his name, laying on the ground, playing the guitar upside down, overcome by the Holy Spirit. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just kind of who we are chasing after Jesus. But I love that. There's a story of Jesus heading toward Jerusalem um, out of Jericho as he heads toward the cross. And he comes to this city of Jericho, and you can see at different times. Um, you have to understand that there were two Jerichos back then, just like today. There's old Jericho that got destroyed, you remember? Remember they knocked it down? And then they built a new Jericho just a couple of miles away, if it was that far. So you, you've got the story and stories of Jesus interacting with people. But I know it's Christmas. I just want to take you to Matthew 20. And it's going to show up up here, but if you want to go to your phone, it's Matthew 20, beginning of verse 29. Uh, 29. And it pertains to Christmas. It pertains so much to Christmas. As I read this story to you, I'd like for you to put tinsel and greenery, maybe a little bit of snow on the story and begin to see how this relates to Christmas. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And I love this part. The crowd rebuked them. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. And, and I think maybe Matthew's being kind of nice. I think he would say, uh, they just kept saying, shut up. Be quiet. You're not worth it. But... When they told them to be quiet, they shouted all the louder. 
Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called to them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. And, and, and I don't think he just said, what do you want me to do for you? I think he said, hey, what do you want me to do for you? I think he's just a normal, Jesus is just a normal guy. I think he just hollered over and said, what do you want me to do? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And I love this because compassion is Christmas and Christmas is compassion. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed Jesus. I love that. Big Christmas story. Everything about it is what I want to share with you today. Can you choose to believe it? We go through this thing, and it's they dared to believe. These two people were laying there, sitting there, like they did every single day because they had to make their living just begging, telling people who are going by, can you spare a nickel, can you spare a dime, standing out there by the Red Lobster with a little sign that says, we'll work for food, um, standing out there with a sign by the, the um, Chick-fil-A that says, hey, um, got any spare change, in need, homeless, um, whatever it might be. Just saying, hey, we need some help. And that was their job. That was their income. That was their life. But they heard that Jesus was coming by and they dared to believe. But here's the deal. Belief isn't something that you prove and therefore you believe. Belief is something that you choose and therefore you begin to see it unfold in your life. You choose to believe and then as you change the course of your life, you begin to see incredible, miraculous things happen that you understand are the movement of God in your life. They said, Lord, son of David. They didn't say son of David. They didn't say teacher. They said, Lord, capital L in your Bible. Lord, as in God almighty, you are here and we dare to believe that if we yell loud enough, you will hear us. It's like another Another story that if we tear the roof off the house and lower him down, our friend, and put him in the, in the front of Jesus, he will listen to them. It's other people walking up and falling down and saying, I don't deserve to have you come to my house, but my servant is sick, and could you please? It's Jesus doing Jesus, and they dared to believe that he cared for them too. And so they wanted his attention, and they said, Lord, and I love this about Jesus. He had time for them. Jesus had time for them. That was the answer to their belief. You see, this says up here, believe. It says it because that's the theme of the movie that we're looking at. But the fact of the matter is, this is the theme of my life. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God Almighty, the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son who lived on this earth, was uh, crucified for my sins, was raised from the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit who is God Almighty residing inside of us. I believe in one holy Catholic church, little C, big global. Um, Catholic means universal. I believe in one church. I don't believe in denominations. I believe. And as a result of that, I believe that Jesus has time for me because he loves me. Jesus didn't come down here to live in a manger, uh, I mean, to be born into a, a barn, to be birth. I mean, to, to be spend time in a manger, to spend 33 years growing up, to spend three years or 30 years growing up, three years doing ministry, uh, a couple of hours doing um, sacrifice, coming back. He didn't, and then to not have anything to do with you. 
Why would you think a God would love you so much he'd come down here and die for you and then tell you to be quiet, shut up, stay there, be crippled? This picture is the picture of you and I. And Jesus is here. And we're allowed to cry out and say, Jesus, Lord, God Almighty, Son of David, please reveal yourself to me. I am broken, hurting, and in need. And I am definitely not worthy. And that's the picture. Jesus had time for them. Jesus stopped and he called to them. Yet to all who believed, John said, to all those who called on his name, to all those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of the Most High God. That's Jesus. That's God. There's a, a, a thought in Christianity going around that God is so mad at the homosexuals and God is so mad at the adulterers and God is so mad at people that can't manage their finances and God is so mad at people stealing their tithes from him. God, God is so mad at people that he doesn't want anything to do with this earth. He's getting fed up. Jesus is not coming back because he's fed up. He's coming back because he wants us. For God so loved the world... Let's just stop right there for this morning. He's not mad at the world, but he wants you to come away from your sin because he's got a better life for you. Yet to all who believe, to those who called on his name. So the blind men dared to believe that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Son of God, that he loved them. And they repented in as much as they could, whether they called it repentance or not, I don't know, because they knew they weren't worthy. You know why? Because the crowd made it perfectly clear to them. You ever been in a crowd that made it perfectly clear that you were not worthy to be there? You're not worthy of God's attention? You are not worthy of the kingdom of heaven? You, are not, you ever met somebody where you're like, I'm not going to tell him about Jesus. He might get saved. I knew a guy. I worked with a guy one time. When I asked him, why don't you just share Jesus with that guy instead of railing on him? They were co-workers. And he said, because I don't want him to get saved. I want him to go to hell and get what he deserves. And I thought, wow. This was before I was a pastor. And it was like, you got to be kidding me. There are people that call themselves Christians that want other people to go to hell because they want them to get what they, they deserve. Listen to me. I don't want what I deserve, and I'm the pastor. Because I deserve hell. Because of the blood of Jesus, I get heaven. But I don't get to go around and talk down to people because I'm saved and they're not. The drummer boy gets to come to the manger. The little kid on the other side of the tracks gets to get on the train. The blind people get to follow Jesus. Not just the clean people. Because Jesus came for us. When they repented, the scripture will say that Jesus had compassion on them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And I would encourage you today, of all days on this earth this year, own that question as you move forward because I honestly believe that God is inviting you to ask. How many times did we read that Jesus said, then you will ask my Father in heaven and then you will pray and use my name and ask my Father in heaven and then you will choose to believe and you will How many times has Jesus got to say, you have the right to come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in your time of need? Until we come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. Come on. We get to walk in without the fear of the king cutting our head off. Because we're his children. And he cares about what we want as much as he cares about what we need. And as long as no is an okay answer with you, ask. 
Just let him say no so he can be God and not you. Because he loves you and he's working on your behalf. Jesus had compassion on them. and said, what do you want me to do for you? And I believe that he wants to say that to you today too. It's Christmas. What do you want God to do for you? Because I believe that he wants to do it. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus had compassion, but they believed enough to actually verbalize it. And they didn't ask for, well, you know, um, we sure could use a meal over at the, um, the Red Lobster. Or, hey, you know, if I could just have a job. No, 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 no. They didn't ask for something Jesus could do. They didn't ask for something you and I could do for them. They didn't stand there for a, with a sign and say, could you give me 20 bucks? When you open the window to your car and you shout out and say, hey, dude, what do you need? He didn't say, hey, I need a place to lay my head tonight. They said, we want the miraculous. We want our sight. Jesus could have said, not today. No, you're asking too much. Not today. What about a McBurger? What about some fries? What about we just invite you to come along and some people carry you and you get to go on the entourage as we go to Jerusalem? Jesus is asking you, what do you want and we're scared to ask for the miraculous because what if he doesn't do it and then it wrecks our faith? Listen to me. Jesus not doing what I say or what I ask has never wrecked my faith or made me believe that there wasn't a God and I was not raised in a Christian home. I believe that he's working on my behalf because he's got things he wants me to do for the kingdom of heaven. And as I delight myself in the Lord, I might just see him giving me the desire of my heart because he became the desire of my heart. Wow. What does that look like? They believed enough to ask the miraculous and it was not going to wreck their faith. They were going to take a swing. Listen to me. If you're going to ask God, swing for the fence. It's okay. It's also okay to hear God say, yeah, this is how I'm going to answer it. When I was in Bible college up in central Ohio, I had a wife, I had five kids, just lost a father-in-law, 54 years old, to cancer. We were traveling back and forth, didn't have an income. It was a full-time school gig. God was providing for us, honestly, miraculous another story altogether. But I remember we had a, a 1973 F-100 pickup truck, and that's what all seven of us traveled in. You know, that was back in the day where, you know, police officer wouldn't necessarily pull you over for not having a license, I mean, a seatbelt on, you know. It's like seven people in, in a single cab truck. Yeah, that's how we rolled. And I was like, God, I need a car. I need a big, you know, station wagon, or I need a big Cadillac. Or, you, know what, you know what he gave me? gave me a Volkswagen Dasher. It's like, really, God? You gave me a diesel Dasher? They don't even make them anymore. They're so horrible. You know? I was so excited. We had a four-door Dasher, and I could drive back and forth to school in a diesel, and it got such incredible fuel mileage. It was ridiculous. I don't care that he didn't give me the thing I wanted. I just knew that he was taking care of me. Because they asked God for the miraculous, and pretty much immediately, God answered it and healed them. And he doesn't always do that in my life. 
but he's done it enough in my life that I can't turn back. I can't go back to who I was. I know Jesus. I'm known by Jesus. I can't walk away. It's not possible. I need Jesus. When the little boy, Billy is his name, was invited onto the train, he was from the wrong side of the tracks and he wasn't worthy. The know-it-all boy wasn't sure that he should stop on this side of the tracks. And I just want you to know that's just a picture of the kingdom of God and it's bigger than your understanding of God and his wantonness. We serve such a wanton God, such a prodigal God. That's what we serve. And when I think about that, who am I to judge somebody sitting next to me in church? What they've been through, what their life was before, what they should have done. Man, I'm having a hard enough time being Joe Wood, and, and I'm sorry that some of you actually know that. <laughs> because you're close enough to love me that I tell you. <laughs> or you have to have a talk with me. <laughs> hey, sit down. We got to talk. Thank you for being bold enough to do that. I'm not giving the rest of you permission. But those of you that do it, thank you. I know you love me. Jesus says you and I will be judged in the same way that we judge. People say, Jesus said don't judge. That's not what he said. He said you shouldn't judge because you will be judged the same way that you judge. You know that Jesus also said, stop making a wrong judgment and start making a right one. That, that's biblical. That's straight out of the Bible. Stop making a wrong judgment and start making a right one. That's what Jesus said. Now your head's starting to spin. Well, Paul said the church is to make discernments and judgments. Don't judge those people outside the church. Don't judge the culture that we live in. Paul says you should be judging as leaders. You should be organizing, discerning, and moving forward, not condemning to hell, but people in the church challenging them regularly saying hey let go of this take up this follow this pray here fast here do things like that the difference being that we don't condemn people to hell we do encourage reproof correct and inspire people with the scripture but Paul told Timothy don't forget that you've got to correct people as well when people that are needing when people that are wanting, when people that are looking for hope walk in the door, we, the children of God, the keepers of the gospel, we should be welcoming them like the, the prodigal father. You say, prodigal father? It's the story of the prodigal son. No, not really. And don't take my word for it. Read it yourself. Prodigal means wanton, according to Merriam-Webster. Wanton, number two, not number one. <laughs> and number one means lascivious overindulgent with no boundaries. But it means being without check or limitation, such as unduly lavish, extravagant. Are you ready for this? Parisos, John 10.10. 10. We serve a lavish, wanton God who does not do things right. The father gave the son a share. The, son, the other um, son stayed home. And the father killed the fattened calf. Not good ideas for a son that stepped out of line. The older brother had the right idea. Father, who do you think you are loving on this kid that did this to you? He, with all due respect, okay, I do believe Dave Ramsey's helped a lot of people. But the older brother had the, the Dave Ramsey idea. Nope, you got to be appropriate. And yet we serve a God, the economy of God, 
welcomes back the one that did it wrong. Welcomes them back. We all have an ideal. We have an ideal for our money. We have an ideal for our children. We have an ideal for our churches. We have an ideal for our marriage. But sometimes our arrow, if we talk in Greek, pull the arrow back and let it go, it doesn't reach the target. We are not second-class citizens because of that. We are children of God who need to get back up and move on. That's what we're doing. The Father gave him his share. The Father has a wantonness to his love for you and I. He wasn't a very good steward of his love and affection, to be honest with you, from human standards in the story of the prodigal son. But God is horribly generous and wanton with the kingdom of God. He gives us opportunity, and he gives opportunity to anyone who will come, and, uh, whosoever will may come. But how dare God love sinners as much as he loves sinners, right? And yet I received that. The devil himself has every right to walk into the throne room of grace and say, how dare you save Joe and not send him to hell? So God sent a baby, but he sent him. He sent him to be human. He sent him to poor people. He sent him to a barn with a manger, not to a king. He sent him to live in a relationship with God. He sent him to take upon him the wrath of God that was due me. If I can make a couple of metaphors real quick, it's the picture of Aslan, those of you that are familiar with the Narnia series, being laid on the slab and stabbed to death and giving up his life for Narnia. It's the picture of Gandalf standing on the bridge, slamming his staff down and saying, you shall not pass and kill these hobbits with the Balrog, the devil. I say that because these two writers were Christian men. See? And they were trying to get a metaphor across to us, but they were only metaphors. Because it's the picture of Jesus in the courtyard of Herod. It's Jesus being questioned by Pilate. But it all began in the shelter of animals as Mary, another sus woman. Sus. That means somebody who is of questionable nature. I'm just going to tell you, if a woman comes up and says she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she is suddenly of questionable nature. Okay? It kind of reminds me of uh, um, Tantor in Tarzan, if you're familiar with the Disney version, when his mother tells him to get in the water and he says, is it clean? Because it looks very questionable to me. The water is sus. Suspect. Suspicious. And that was also Mary, the mother of Jesus. See, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Jesus went to, that he went to the houses and the parties of the wealthy and the politically connected. I believe that he went places that people in churches are saying, you should not go. What are you doing there? Because people in the synagogue said that to him. They said that. But I believe in the Jesus who lives in the heart. He went to the places, but he lives in the hearts of the broken, the hurting, the hungry, the poor, and the hopeless. And those people are not all financially destitute. They're from all strata of life. This Jesus came and died for you and me. Your story can be about what Jesus did in your life, or it can be about what Jesus is doing in your life. And those are two different perspectives, two very different perspectives. What about this morning? 
What about the life that you're living on a regular basis in relationship to the baby in the manger, in relationship to the man on the cross, or in relationship to the man that walked out of the, uh, the tomb and was raised to death, uh, from the dead? You know, people talk a lot about Jesus dying on the cross, but the church was built on the resurrection, not the death. The death was necessary, and the blood is the payment for all of our sins. There's no doubt about that. But without the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead, we are the most hopeless and destitute of people on this planet. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. But we know that there is a hope. We know that there is a future. We know that that baby, <clears throat> born in the manger, was destined to die on the cross. Nobody murdered him. He specifically said it was for this reason that I came. He didn't, they didn't take his life. He gave it up. There's a big difference. He said, here's my life. Don't kill Joe. Here's my life. Don't let your wrath fall on Joe. And I receive that. Because whosoever will may come. I believe that God has a life for you. I believe that you're a sinner just like me. And while I will be held to a higher standard as a pastor of this church, I just want you to know I am not perfect. To some degree, I'm a little sus myself. I'm going to say that till you're sick of it, aren't I? I don't know. It wasn't believe. It was sus. <laughs> okay. You need a Savior just like I need a Savior. Jesus came, he lived, and he died, and he rose from the dead for you. Not because you're good enough. Not because you got cleaned up enough. But because you were willing enough to bring your little drum to the manger. Because you were willing enough to walk out to the train as Jesus was going by. Because you were willing to scream and holler and say, Lord, please, I need your help. I'm filthy. I'm blind. Will you love me? Peter told you and I, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2. Repent, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, capital W-I-L-L, emphasis mine, will receive the Holy Spirit. Not you might receive the Holy Spirit. Not later on you'll get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not, no, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And at some point, it's going to be important for you to let him have his way in your life. Because he's got gifts to pour into your life that will put you in places you never dreamed of. And I wonder, as we come to the manger on Christmas morning, do you understand, or do you understand, are you understanding that God already sees all the filth? He recognizes what's going on in your life. And the thing that happened, the shepherds left Jesus and there's no way they could leave and be the same people that they were. The angels came, the choir came, they went to the manger, they saw the baby. We met Jesus when we surrendered our lives. I can't go back to who I was, but I can go forward. And I wonder, I wonder if that's you this morning. As we come to this place in the service, this is what I want to do.
I know it's Christmas Eve. But I want to invite you to come to your feet. We're going to go to this closing song right here. But here's the deal. If you're in here right now, we're wrapping up 2023. Didn't know that I would ever live this long, but I'm, I'm glad for it. But if you're at that place of saying, wow, I'm anticipating 2024 if Jesus tarries. And man, I certainly want something more. And you're saying, I want something different. And you're here and you're gutsy enough to cry out and say, God, God, Lord, will you please, you fill in the blank. Can we pray for you? If you're saying, I want my life to be different in this particular area, I'm not going to ask you to talk about it. I'm just saying, if you are at a place where you're saying, I want to embrace Christmas, I want to embrace the transformation, and I want a reason to believe, and I'm willing to take the risk, could you just do me a favor and come up here? Can we pray for you? I just want to invite you to come up here right this second and say, this is for me. I know this is for me. I don't want what I had in 2023. I want what God has for me in 2024. Just come up here. Just come right up here. Just a little bit further. Don't be shy. I will not bite you. Anybody else is in here and saying, wow, that was a whole lot to pack in 40 minutes. I want some of that. I want some of that. I need some of that. I need my life to change. I'm sitting on the road to Jericho. I'm the blind man. I'm the crippled man. I'm willing to admit that I'm in need. Do me a favor and fill in right over here, if you will, darling. Just there you go. It's like, but I need my life to be different. I want to believe, if nothing else, I want to believe that God wants me. He's not putting up with me. our time to say I know I know Jesus it's not always easy to believe in the midst of the storms that we go through the loss of relationships it's not easy when we lose a loved one it's not easy when our job gets cancelled it's not easy and sometimes we do cry out God where are you and listen to me that is a good cry you do not have to be ashamed or embarrassed of that if those two blind men can humiliate themselves on the side of the road and, and scream above everybody passing by, then I'm going to be a screamer. I'm going to be a screamer. Because, Lord, I want. I want more of you. I want more of heaven. I want more of what you want for me. Listen, I don't know who all's on the prayer team this morning, but it pretty much needs to be anybody that's been uh, uh, gone through the training to be on the prayer team. If, if you're on it at any time, has nothing to do with the schedule. I need you up here. I need you guys to come forward, if you will, so they can come in behind you. All that's going to happen is they're going to begin to pray over you, and I want you to stay here while we sing this song until you get prayed over. Do not leave the manger until you meet the baby right here today. Okay? I'm going to pray for these people generally, and I want you to begin to pray for them individually and stay here until if you see somebody else, you go to somebody else, okay? Father, as we come before you, we believe. God, please help our unbelief at times. God, we ask your forgiveness in the name of all that is heaven because you gave me authority when you called me out. I speak forgiveness of, of, of the sins of these people by the blood of Jesus Christ as, as a right of mine, as a family member of the kingdom of God because you called me your own. 
because Jesus is not afraid to call me brother, then I have the right to leverage the family business on them. And the family business is forgiveness. And I leverage and I speak and I command forgiveness upon their sins in this place right now. They are clean. And in the name of Jesus Christ, God, I pray that you would make them aware of your Holy Spirit inside of them. I pray that you would do the ridiculous so that we might receive the miraculous. And we are here because you are God. It is not a, a Christmas celebration, God. It is not a variety show. We are here to worship you. And we don't even understand that. But we believe. And so we're taking a risk. Meet us in this risk, God. And if everybody tells us to sit down and shut up, then we will stand up and scream all the more. But meet us here today in this safe place. In the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and who is our Savior. This we believe, God. This we receive, God. And this we will go from here and proclaim in Jesus' name. Amen.